0: Well, I invite you all to turn with me in the Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 14, 2 Samuel chapter 14, as we continue our series through that book of the scriptures and really have just five or six weeks left. Uh, in that series, we're going to double up on a few chapters that are that are coming up here. And so uh, actually, in some senses, coming in the, the home stretch here, at least over the halfway point in our our series through Second Samuel. We have uh, been looking in recent uh, weeks, if you will, at the fallout consequences, repercussions, whatever word you want to use. Uh, the actions that uh, King David uh, took with Bathsheba and then also with the murdering of of her husband, Uriah. And we see how that is playing out in various ways. Uh, most recently, we saw in the chapter we looked at last week, chapter 13, a passage that was once uh, one and the same. Uh, pretty, pretty difficult, pretty challenging to read as we see the brokenness in, in David's family playing out with uh, one son. He, David had multiple wives, so one, one son, Amnon. Uh, not being able to restrain himself in pursuing relationship with uh, one of David's uh, other uh, daughters. And the impact of that then upon Absalom, one of the other brothers, uh, brother to Tamar, who gets upset and ultimately takes the life of Amnon. So we see this splintering, this brokenness. And we, you know, we said last week, boy, it's a bleak. Passage to read, but we're we're thankful for even those you know challenging things in Scripture because they remind us that there's there's nothing new under the sun. If we've got trouble in our families, in our households, maybe not quite to that degree, maybe to that degree, uh, we can take some encouragement from the fact that uh, even in the family of the King of Israel, uh, there was brokenness that came, and and we can also take hope from the fact, of course, as we said last week, that. That God can give us a redeemed family in at least three different senses, a redeemed family in that by his grace and by his Holy Spirit's power, we can experience transformation in our you know, our family unit, that can, that can happen for us. That is a real thing. It's never going to be perfect or, uh, fully complete, but we can enjoy that. We saw as well that God gives us a redeemed family in the sense of those that we're gathered here and connected to as a church body as well. The body of Christ is a, a sort of extended family for us. That too has its uh, limitations, but is a huge blessing for us. And then ultimately we saw that we, we will enjoy a redeemed family in its fullness in heaven when we're with uh, the Lord. So we saw that brokenness last week. We saw some of the implications after Absalom kills Amnon. He's on the run. And as we turn to our passage today, and we're not going to read all of the chapters. I'm just sort of going to jump through it, but I think you'll get the picture. We uh, see what is happening in terms of reconciliation or lack thereof between David and Absalom. And what we might be able to learn again from that for uh, our lives, for our families, for our church, for our workplace, in terms of reconciliation, at least what not to do. So with that in mind, uh, turn with me, uh, take a look at Second Samuel uh, chapter 14, and I'll sort of guide us through these verses, jumping here and there just a, just a bit. Starting in verse 1. Now, Joab, the son of Zariah, knew that the king's heart, that's King David, went out to Absalom. Again, that's his son. And Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Pretend to be a mourner. Put on mourning garments. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but behave like a woman who's been mourning many days for the dead. Go to, king, go to the king and speak thus to him. So Joab put words in her mouth. So we've got a recruited actress here, basically, to, to play a role. And then we read as this woman goes, and, and we'll skip over this part for sake of time, and shares with David a powerful, compelling story, a manufactured one, but a story that uh, she has lost, uh, she has two sons and she's lost one. One has taken the life of the other and seeking to draw David into the drama of that and the emotion of that and the importance of it, which leads us down to uh, verse 11 says, Then she said, this is to David the king, Please let the king invoke the Lord your God, that the avenger of blood, that was kind of the one that would carry out the death penalty, no more, that the avenger of blood kill no more, that my son be not destroyed. And David said, As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. So she's got him convinced, persuaded through her dramatic story and illustration. Now look at verse twelve. Then the woman said, Please let your servant speak a word to the Lord my my king. He said, Speak, and the woman said, Why have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in giving this decision the king convicts himself, inasmuch as the king does not bring his banished one home again. Speaking, of course, of Absalom. And we'll skip over the next few verses there as she kind of pleads her case for the king to be lenient with her for her uh, scheme. And get down to verse 21. The king said to Joab, Behold now, I grant this. So it's been revealed that Joab's behind all of this as well. The king said to Joab, Behold now, I grant this. Go and bring back the young man Absalom. And Joab fell on his face to the ground, paid homage, and blessed the king. Joab said, Today your servant knows that I've found favor in your sight, my lord the king. In that the king has granted the request of your servant. So Joab's trying to bring these two uh, disjointed souls, Jonathan or David and his son Absalom, I'm sorry, together, back together. And then read with me in verse 23. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. The king said, let him dwell apart in his own house. He's not to come into my presence. So Absalom lived apart in his own house and did not come into the king's presence. Uh Uh-oh. Doesn't sound like full reconciliation or restoration. Jump on with me down to verse 28. And indeed, we read more about this. It says, so Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem Without coming into the king's presence. Then Absalom sent for Joab. You guys are going to like this. Watch this. uh, To send him to the king. But Joab wouldn't come to him. And he sent him a second time. But Joab would not come. Joab's not answering his phone anymore. On this reconciliation job. That he's tried to perform. Absalom says this. He said. Then he said to his servant, See Joab's field is next to mine. And he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom set this field on fire. Absalom's servant set his field on fire. Then Joab arose and went to Absalom at his house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I sent word to you, come here, that I may send you to the king. So, you know, if you get a voicemail from from Absalom, you want to take it. Just, Just a heads up right there. You get a voicemail from him, you want to take it or watch out for your property. Uh, When have I come from Geshur? When have I come from Geshur? It would have been better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me go into the presence of the king, and if there's guilt in me, let him put me to death. Then Joab went to the king and told him, and the king summoned Absalom. So he came to the king, bowed down himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, a sort of a complicated story, I guess, on the surface for us to follow here, but one that ultimately comes down in a very practical and very relevant way for each one of our lives. As we consider uh, how we deal with conflict, whether we are the offender or the uh, one being offended, And Lord, perhaps when we're in the role of trying to help those two parties get together and make peace. Father, we pray that you would give us insight that would be very uh, useful and helpful for our lives, even as we go from this place, whether it's with uh, conflicts in our household or marriage, whether it's conflicts in our workplace, our extended family, in our neighborhood. Lord, that you would uh, help us through your word. We pray this all. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the things I have to confess that we enjoy doing at the Peter's house, especially with my four boys, is, is watching the YouTube fails videos. You, you've probably all enjoyed that sinister pleasure as well. Whether it's the skateboard fails or the wedding fails, which are really, uh, pastors, we kind of like this, you know, uh, when you see the the cake tumble over or whatever. The, uh, the one we saw recently was the uh, rope swing into the water fails. The rope swing into the water was kind of summer spirit. We'll get into it. And whether it's the guy, who, you know, swings in and somehow gets his, his ankle hooked on the rope and then he's supposed to be flying into the water beautifully and landing. And instead, his whole body is headed crashing back into the into the shoreline or the tree from whence he came or that cake toppling over that bride that trips or that skateboard accident. Whatever it is, it's, a, it's sort of a sinister thing that we do, isn't it, where we, we kind of get a little delight in watching some other people's uh, pain. But it reminds us, those fails videos, that uh, there, there's a right way to do things and there is sometimes a totally wrong way to do things, doesn't it? You watch those fails videos and you can sort of, as the video is playing, you can see it happening. You're like, please don't do, no, don't, and, and then they, they do it. Well, our passage today is, in my mind, a sort of reconciliation Fail, a sort of reconciliation, fail some things that seem like some good ideas and some sort of half starts and attempts that really uh, end up just in in disaster, at least at this point. Now, this isn't the end of the story. This isn't the full video, YouTube video of all that's going to happen with David. In some senses, the fail is going to get even worse in the in the chapters to follow. And then in some senses, there's going to be some improvement. We'll see that coming up in future weeks. But it causes us to to think, and again, the fail is not exclusively on the part of David. We see that it's also on the part of Absalom as well. This uh, problem of them reconciling is is going to get even worse on the part of Absalom. Here in today's passage, we see a little bit more of, of David's struggles, but it's a reconciliation fail. And maybe like me, you've been involved in trying to resolve some kind of conflict that you've had with somebody, maybe somebody you're close to, or maybe somebody you just need to professionally get a conflict resolved with. And maybe it's not as serious as the level in our passage today, but we've all probably had that experience of feeling like, well, that went about as well as it could have. And we've all probably had that experience of, Goodness, I think I just made that horribly worse. That was a reconciliation fail. So the main idea, I think, from, from our passage today and really drawing from the whole scope of Scripture, and if you want to follow along in your worship guide, you can turn to the sermon notes section in the back. In fact, there's a little diagram that I know I've put in in previous uh, months on peacemaking that we're going to get to in a minute. So you'll definitely want to keep that handy because we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But the main idea would be this, that since God says peacemakers are blessed and makes peace for us through Christ, that we should pursue biblical reconciliation. Another way to put it is that because God's interested in reconciling us, fallen, broken, sinful people who turn away from him, with him, That's the part of the business that he's in. It's the central thing that Jesus did. Then we ought to be interested in reconciliation among one another as well in all its its ways. I think you got the general picture from the passage. So you've got uh, in the same way that Nathan a few chapters earlier uses a story about a shepherd to get through to David. Now, we don't know whether David's just a little... Headed or they're worried he's going to fly out the handle or he's just the king and this is just how you deal with the king. But, you know, in the same way that David uses a story about a shepherd caring for his sheep to try to get uh, Nathan uses that to get David to realize his sin with Bathsheba and the impact of it. So, too, Joab's trying to be a peacemaker. He's trying to be a friend who helps bring people together. He's one of the chief advisors and so forth to uh, to to King David. But he's trying to bring these two together, trying to be a peacemaker. He's trying to make reconciliation. And he does that by sending in. He hires this woman. I hope you got the picture again. We skimmed through it. To come in and basically act like she has had two sons, one has died, and get David in the mindset of saying, gosh, that's bad. Somebody ought to do something about that. Somebody ought to make sure that that situation gets resolved. And then she's able pretty boldly, I think, to turn to him and basically say, this is what you're doing. This is the way you're acting with regard to Absalom, who's run away. You know, bring him back, deal with him in some way or some capacity. And then we go on and see in the remainder of the passage that indeed David takes a sort of half step that way, again at the prodding of Joab, and brings Absalom back, but it couldn't be more clear in the passage, could it? He brings him back, but he's not even going to hang out with him. And, and, and Absalom gets the message, doesn't he? He's like, it would have been better off for me to say halfway across the world than to be right here and not interact with the one that there's all these problems with. Now, Absalom seems... He's got a little bit of the Samson or Peter, Apostle Peter or something. And I mean, he's a little bit aggressive or, you know, compulsive, something like that. He, he just goes, and Joab won't pay attention to him, so he lights his field on fire. It's kind of humorous to read, but he gets Joab's attention. Finally, they come back together. And at the end of the chapter, there's something happening between David and Absalom. It looks sort of positive. We're going to read the rest of the story in future weeks to see where that goes. But, but that, that's the situation in this passage. I hope you all are tracking with that as well. And the question for us today is this. You know, where are we on the relationships that we're in? Uh, maybe we're on the Absalom side of things. Now, we're going to see Absalom's going to cause, I mean, he's caused some problems, but, but he's on the side of David, really. You know, needing to reach out to him and bring him back, because Absalom knows if he goes back, his life is going to be taken. So maybe we're on that side of sort of waiting for somebody to reach out to to us that we feel we need to be reconciled to. Most of us, our lives aren't threatened though by going and engaging with the person that maybe we've caused some harm against. So maybe for us today, a starting point is to think about what are those situations where you and I need to reach out to somebody that we think we've offended, where we need to initiate and, and reach out to them. Uh, the flip side is is true, too. Again, most likely there hasn't been a, a murder taken or whatever. But David's role here is to maybe get an apology and maybe grant forgiveness. But it seems like maybe he wants to harbor and hold on to some of this bitterness or just not deal with the situation he's passive about it maybe that's the case for us maybe we're not involved in the particular conflict as an offend you know one offending or the one offended maybe we're just alongside that person that couple those friends those coworkers and it would frankly be easy to fall into either sins of omission or commission with regard to God's call for us to serve as peacemakers, we could fall into sin of omission of saying, you know, I don't want to meddle, I don't want to be that person who's meddling, or frankly, I just don't care. I just don't care to get involved. It's going to involve time and energy, so we could be on that side, and we could also some of us be on the side of commission, where we stick our noses into situations where we where we don't really need to be sticking our noses in. That that fear though causes us to really just ambivalent about peacemaking, about trying to help others around us. And the scriptures remind us it's a beautiful thing to help bring peace where we can. So Joab's, you know, he loses the field of barley. You know, there's a cost to being a peacemaker, but he's trying and he could have lost the king's favor with bringing in this actress to play this role. But he really is trying to bring these folks together. As you can see, he's interested not just in them personally, but in the kingdom of God. And in in their relationships and how it reflects God's kingdom lived out in Israel. So where are we today? What are those situations where we would label ourselves the one who's been offended? Where are those situations where we might not be sure, but we suspect that we have been the offender? And what are those situations where you and I maybe have a role we could play in being a peacemaker? Probably most of us, we've been too passive. Maybe some of us, we've overstepped our bounds, but probably most of us, we've been too passive. And let's look at what the scriptures say about some of this. Uh, The first thing I want to look at is this idea of peace. And it's interesting if you look and whether you've got your Bible on your device and you just hit a search feature and hit the word peace and just see how many times it It comes up in how many books of the Bible, you know, do do that sometime or look in the concordance, the back part of your Bible where it lists some of those words. It's all over the place. And and I guess a couple of caveats to begin with. The first thing we see is that if you look in a place like Matthew chapter 10, and for sake of time, we won't read the verses, but it, it talks about the fact that sometimes the gospel and how Jesus is working in our lives is actually going to divide. It's actually going to create conflict where there maybe was none before, or at least none on the surface. That it even can have the dynamic of dividing family members from one another. Now, we may have seen that and experienced our lives in this culture, but I'll tell you if, you, if you pick up that little publication we mentioned during Missions Month, The Voice of the Martyrs, I know I handed some of those copies out, and hopefully maybe some of you all signed up to get that at your house. I know when I get it about once every two or three months, invariably, one of those stories in another part of the world deals with somebody whose own very relatives, family, parents, loved ones are opposed, maybe violently, to the things of Christ in the gospel, and it results in separation. So sometimes the gospel and the reality of the Lord doesn't bring what we would call outward peace. It actually brings separation. So we need to keep that in mind. Perhaps maybe more relevant for us would be a passage like Romans 12, verse 18, where it talks about the fact that as far as it is possible to live at peace with all men. And maybe that's a little bit, more relevant for us because we all have known those situations where whether we're the offender or the one offended or the one trying to make peace, we have tried to get in and we have tried to resolve. We tried to get somewhere and, and it just doesn't get to where we want to. And so our solution to that is, I'm not going to try at all. And it's just a good reminder. Scripture says, you know, as far as it's possible, God knows there's only so much we can do. He really does. And that's not an excuse for us to cop out of trying to bring reconciliation. God knows there's only so much we can do, and that's okay. But we still ought to be trying and pursuing reconciliation. So that's by way of kind of just background. And then let me just mention all the ways that peace and the idea of peacemaking and reconciliation comes out in the New Testament. One that's just fascinating, again, if you do a little search, is virtually every one of the Apostle Paul's letters and John's epistles, I think, all of them, maybe other places as well, begin with the greeting, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. That's like the starting point, the introductory words of a huge amount of the New Testament. Grace and peace. So God's concerned with peace, and he's concerned with it in a couple of ways. One, our peace, the peace we can have with him. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 uh, reminds us of that. It says, Therefore, since we've been justified with by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? What that assumes is that we're recognizing what it says elsewhere in Romans, that we're actually in our in our nature, in our disposition, we're not really going towards God. We tend to be going away from Him, even be His enemies. And yet through faith in Christ we can be reconciled. To him, we've been justified, declared righteous simply by faith. So we can have this gift of having peace with God. And then out of that peace, that relationship with God can flow peace in our lives in a couple of different ways. One, the uh, Colossians chapter three, verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's an interesting picture. Rule we think of as kind of dominating and a little bit forceful. Peace we think of as sort of, oh, I greet you in peace, you know, blessings, loved ones. Peace rule in our hearts that that as believers, we're intended to enjoy some experience of peace in our soul because we know that we have peace with God, even in the midst of maybe challenging circumstances. And then the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians it talks about that, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc., that peace is meant to be a fruit then that so reconciled to God vertically experiencing that peace hopefully internally then we become instruments of peace there's fruit that's coming out of our lives of a peace of reconciliation perhaps Matthew 5 goes even further and it says blessed you know those beatitude statements famous words from scripture blessed which just means happy happy are those who do x y and z Happy, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons of God. And then one last passage, Second Corinthians chapter 5. Again, you don't need to turn there, but it reminds us specifically that because we have peace with God, hopefully experiencing that internally, and then bearing fruit in extending peace and seeking to help be peacemakers, that through the gospel... We can be reconciled. We can be reconciled with one in the church body. We can be reconciled. Again, it doesn't always work out perfectly. As far as it's possible, live at peace with all men. But that we ought to be pursuing that peace. Let me talk about this in a, a, a couple of ways by very practical application. We're going to look at that diagram on the bottom of your page in your worship guide. But before I do that and before I forget... I want to mention as well. So we're going to look at it on a very personal level, very practical level. But I also want to talk about this. uh, And you've got a handout in your pew that you can read if you would like. It's got um, what it's it's from our uh, presbytery, actually from another presbytery. But we have uh, been in support of it. You have seen if you've been reading our by faith magazine and, you know, our general assembly for our denomination is coming up that since last year, One of the things that we've been trying to work on specifically as a denomination is racial reconciliation. What that looks like for us as a denomination and what that looks like for us as individuals. And this has got some sort of churchy wording to it and so forth. But I really encourage you to read through this, this statement that the folks in Mississippi Valley, so over Mississippi, produced and then a pastoral letter. So it's sort of a statement of official uh, views And apologies and so forth, and then goes to some specific, you know, steps, taking taking of steps that we can do to pursue reconciliation in that way. Now, it's interesting, our our denomination, our association of churches is actually uh, somewhat diverse, more diverse than others, in the sense that there is a black and white involvement in our denomination and in our our churches. Um, And there's also a significant Korean involvement because most denominations are either one race or another, and there's no mix whatsoever. Uh, But obviously, as a denomination in most of our communities, we need to do a better job of trying to reach out across those lines. And part of that is at least recognizing the past and the history and the errors that those before us have participated in and also perhaps how we are even pursuing that. So, one area we see in the scriptures, if you look at a place like Ephesians 4, is that groups of people like the Jews and the Gentiles, who utterly despised one another, are coming together and being connected through Christ. Not in a perfect way, not in a way that doesn't have some stumbles and falls along the way, but that's bringing and uniting people together. And there's, of course, a ton of stuff in the news about the racial dynamics in our country right now, and I think hopes that people had that things would be in a better place and not seeing them be there. Uh, this is the reality, folks, and I'm just going to speak straightforward as I see it as a pastor and see from God's word. Unless there's a grounding in Christ to uh, extend, seek forgiveness and receive forgiveness for either past things or current things, unless there's a recognition from Christ that we're created in the image of God, where we love one another across some of those boundaries... There's no way our culture in and of itself can give us power to actually see something new happen in the area of race. It's not surprising at all to me. Uh, It's sad, but it's not surprising at all that a culture that's actually moving away in many regards from the Lord and from God as creator is seeing less positive things happening on that racial front because there's no power in ourselves to really see that happen. Think of the civil the leaders of the civil rights movement. Most of them, they may have had a different take on some theological things than we did. Most of them had the letters R-E-V before their name. They were people that recognized the power of God and the gospel needed to be at the center of this. So this uh, thing that we're doing as a denomination, it is what it is. It's only going to be as strong as uh, individual churches and individual people really embrace it. Uh, we can confess plenty of failures in the past as a church body, as I'm sure other church bodies can, but hopefully this is taking us in a new direction. And I'd really encourage you, our presbytery did vote to approve this statement that you have before it as our statement. Uh, on these matters and uh, and would invite you to pray for us as we have a discussion next week. I'll be down in uh, Mobile. Paul Johnson is our, our elder that's going down with me this year to be a part of that meeting and just pray that God would work powerfully because I think some, some wonderful things could come out of it. Uh, take a look as we think about how this all applies on a personal level at the diagram you have at the bottom of your uh, your page in the worship guide. And it's something that I think I've put in the worship guide before for us to look at. But let's take just a a few minutes. We've only got two or three minutes left, but let's take a few minutes to talk about this. And I like how Ken Sandy, who's uh, one of the leaders of sort of peacemakers movement. And in fact, I'm, I'm talking with our church leadership about perhaps in the fall doing a six, seven or eight week series where we'd really zero in on this even more than I can do in this this sermon today, but Ken Sandy writes a, a good deal about this idea of peacemaking, and he gives a good little story that maybe will help us encapsulate this, and then we can look at that uh, semicircle. He says, I love to backpack in Montana's spectacular Beartooth Mountains. One year I ventured out in the late spring with three friends. The streams were swollen from the melting snow. Ten miles into the mountains we came to a stream where the bridge that had been where the bridge that had been washed away. The water was deep and icy cold. There was one place where we might have been able to cross by leaping from rock to rock, but it would mean risking a fall into the rapids. As we stood there trying to decide what to do, three different perspectives surfaced. One person saw the stream as a dangerous obstacle. Afraid that one of us might fall in and be swept away, he wanted to turn back and go all the way around to look for another trail. Another friend saw the stream as a means to show how tough he was. He wanted to wade straight across it, even if it meant that he would be wet and cold for a few hours. But two of us saw the stream as an interesting challenge. We studied the rocks leading to the other side and determined where we would need additional footing. Finding a fallen tree in the woods, we laid it across the largest gap between the rocks. From this point, our two friends began to cooperate with us. Working together, we managed to get one person uh, over to the other bank. Then two of us stood on the rocks in the middle of the stream, and the packs were passed along to the other side, one by one jumping from rock and receiving support from uh, the person ahead. Before long, we were all on the far bank, perfectly dry and exhilarated by our accomplishment. Sandy goes on, he says, I found that people look at conflict in much the same way that my friends viewed the stream. To some, conflict is a hazard that threatens to sweep them off their feet and leave them bruised and hurting. To others, it's an obstacle that they should conquer quickly and firmly, regardless of the consequences. But some people have learned that conflict is an opportunity to solve common problems in a way that honors God and offers benefits to those involved. As you will see, the latter view can transform the way you and I respond to conflict. Take a look as we conclude just at that semi-circle. And again, let's be thinking about specific situations where we can be involved and be helping to make peace, where maybe we've offended, where maybe uh, we are the one offending. And the way the slippery slope works, I think you can see the picture there. It outlines those three approaches he just mentioned, the crossing the stream. And maybe that's a picture we can keep in our minds when we're dealing with, With conflict, the escape responses he calls peace faking uh, is to deny it. Say it doesn't exist. Right. Brush it under the rug. It usually ends up surfacing later, even worse. To have flight, to leave the church, to leave the marriage, to leave the whatever, to get out, right? Check out as soon as we can. Suicide would be the ultimate form, I suppose, of that. Then look at the other side, the attack responses. Assault. It's not just talking about there, you know, physically going after someone, although we've probably all been in some kind of conflict where we either felt like doing that or we did do that. But maybe we verbally assault another person. Litigation is a form, we could say, of legal assault. I hope the attorneys won't take... Uh, offense to that, but it, that is uh, a way of, of stating it legally. And then, of course, murder is uh, the most extreme form of that. And then what I want you to see is that within the scope of these peace making responses, there are a lot of different pathways we can go. And maybe there's one that we need to try because this one didn't work. And maybe we need to try this other one. And it's interesting how they go from the more private to the more public, right, in their involvement, overlooking an offense No one even knows, right? Probably a lot of you all have overlooked offenses with me as your pastor in some way or another. I don't even know it. God's grace has worked in your life and make you an understanding, a gracious person, and you've chosen to do that. Couples do that. Friends do that. They never even say something to the other person. Obviously, reconciliation, negotiation, mediation, arbitration, that's getting other people involved to help resolve something. And maybe we need that. Maybe that's what's needed to reach out for that helping hand. And accountability is someone helping us to actually follow through on that reconciliation. Again, we see with David and with Absalom, this reconciliation fail, if you will. And we're going to look at some of the global things that these verses teach us about the kingdom of God and about Israel and so forth in future weeks. But at least this week, this is perhaps a starting point for some of us to look at our conflicts, our relationships and ask, you know, where where is where am I in the middle of a reconciliation fail? Where's that happening for me? And what is the gospel, what is Christ's love and peace with God that I can have through Christ say about that as far as resolving those things as far as is possible? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the goodness of your word and we thank you for this account of David and Absalom, and specifically what it teaches us and challenges us with in terms of our relationships. And we just confess, I confess, I I really need your your help, Uh, Lord. Sometimes I just go storming into conflict because I want to get it done and get it out of the way. Other times I brush it under the rug and it ends up surfacing later. And and even the the good biblical peacemaking approaches, I know I don't, I certainly don't do perfectly. And, And yet this is so vital to so many areas of our life. And so, Father, we pray that you lead us to trust you and begin to take these steps of reconciliation, even be peacemakers among those around us that are in conflict. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.